I'm not a person who, who takes cold showers. I'm a person who is resilient. I'm a person who pushes himself. Mm-hmm. The identity that comes with the habit is my, is my win in that scenario is that's what my obtainment is through that process. It's the identity that I achieve from the characteristics of the person that does those kinds of things. So I am resilient and I am accountable and I am X, Y, Z. And that allows me to step back into a habit knowing I am accountable and I am resilient and I am these things rather than I am someone who meditates. It's a little different. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to your favorite podcast. It's the Modern Mask Unity Podcast. I'm your co-host, CKK Coach Kyle. What's going on, my people? It's your boy, A Squared, a.k.a. Anwar Ahmed. Coming to you live from across the world. One man's A Squared is in Toronto, and the other man is coming from a rooftop deck in Costa Rica. Yes, that's a shameless plug. And no, I don't feel bad about it. We're coming to you hot today with another live episode to stem off of last week's. We discussed self-awareness, self-development, why it's important to marry both. What are even those two terms to help you kind of build within to also build on the outside? Now, a question that we kind of left with at the end of that episode is how do we use that information to create new habits, set intentional goals, all to essentially stop being the victim of our lives, start being the author of our own lives, start writing our own book. So that's what we're going to discuss today. But before we do that, you know what time it is? It is mood. Oh, I switched it up there. Hey, listen, in, in, in the orchestra, you know how to adapt, adjust, exactly. get with the flow. I like that. I kind of like how that sounds. I'm, I'm excited to hear that back. CCC <laughs> Kyle, what up, man? What's going What's on, going bro? On? You can't be in a bad mood, bro. What is going on? Roof deck, Costa Rica vibes. <laughs> Tell me that vitamin D is working, man. What's going on? Listen, I would first like to point out that that is a backwards narrative that I cannot be in a bad mood while I am in this environment. I just want to get that clear. <laughs> Modernizing masculinity. Here we go. Damn right. But listen, I would like to say that uh, this morning I do feel I feel really good this morning. Specifically, I feel aligned in my environment. I'm in another new environment in Costa Rica, second different town, different city. And so we're adjusting, but it's easier to adjust this time because we've already done it once. So we feel mm-hmm. a lot more aligned and this place feels more like us. It feels more like where we want to be and where we could be for a longer term. So we're kind of navigating that, which is nice. The people here are great. And the unit we have in, uh, we are in is incredible. So there's a lot of good perks here and we're excited to see how it goes. We're here for two months. So let's see how it goes. And my mood itself, uh, I would say is, uh, I would say it's excited and also overwhelmed. I feel like I've shared this kind of concept before, but just the the struggle that it is to be in an environment like this and actually receive it, you know, to look out to what I'm looking out to right now and actually take that in is difficult. Is to know like that's the life. This is your life now. It's hard to do, and I we catch ourselves all the time. Me and my partner of just that struggle to take mm-hmm. it in, to accept that this is life and to allow that much good to be there. Our body naturally fights it and only goes to the limit it is comfortable with. So expanding that capacity here has been a, 
a wild journey. So at pockets, it's overwhelmed pockets. It's exciting. Uh, so that would be my mood for today in a nutshell. Yeah. I want let's stay there for a second, because I think that this is an, an interesting concept, this idea that, um, it kind of speaks to this, you know, just actually getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know, like as if there isn't a destination, you know, it's this, you always want to feel like you're like, Oh yeah, I understand the city now. Or, oh, I understand mm. this job now. Or, 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 oh, I'm getting there now. There's nothing that, there's no more, you know, curveballs that can be thrown. I think, I think we get into this idea and I, I kind of like, I hate that it's a sport metaphor that came to me first because that's naturally how it goes for me. But it's, <laughs> I feel like, you know, when you're a batter in baseball, right? You actually don't ever know what pitch is coming, but you have the belief that you can hit a lot of different pitches. Like a batter is never comfortable, right? It's, they just go up to bat and they, they just deal with what's being thrown. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and the picture in this example could be the universe. It could be, you know, adversity. It could be whatever. But it's the idea of knowing that, like, if you go back to the batting cage or you go back to, you know, the dugout and your, your whole goal in life is to think, I hope I memorize the sequence of this picture. The goal here is I want to memorize the sequence so I can just hit it all the time really hard. And then you go up and they throw you something different. They throw you something different. You're getting used to this idea of wanting to fully understand what the picture is throwing. Where, if you just adopt the mindset of, I'm never going to know what this pitcher is throwing. I'm just good at just swinging at whatever it is. It allows you to anchor yourself to something different. You know what mm. I mean? It allows you to anchor yeah. yourself to something new. And, and I really like that because it's like, yeah, life is really more of like a pitcher that doesn't want to see you hit it. You know, And it might mm. throw you a couple of easy ones and go, hey, that one was for you. Knock that one out of the park. <laughs> this one here is to help you think differently. You know? Yeah. Um, That's good. And I was actually just processing. I was ready to counter you with this concept of getting comfortable being uncomfortable because I used to love that phrase. And then as you just said it to me, I was like, no, mm -mm, that's wrong. And so you, the way that you expressed it, that was really good because I think what's interesting is that the, the batter is not necessarily comfortable in that moment. They're not sitting in a pocket of necessarily comfort because they could get hit by the pitch or they could swing and miss three times and be struck out and have the to deal with the failure or the embarrassment of that they're not necessarily comfortable but what they are is almost trusting in themselves to be able to handle whatever direction this does go so if it hits me i'll be okay if i swing and miss it will be okay i will be okay more specifically so i think i like that now in my head the extension off of getting comfortable being uncomfortable is more heavily predicated on trusting yourself through the discomfort mm -hmm. and building up your capacity to hold more discomfort, right? Kind of like uh, the army when they train you, right? They train you in the way that they do. So you have this heightened capacity to be able to hold chaos all mm -hmm. of the time. So it's not necessarily that they're comfortable, I guess, really, they just got comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Full circle moment there. <laughs> there, it is. there it is, folks. There it is. Sometimes you got to talk it out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think, I think the, the real extension there to, to ease the mind of you and the ease the mind of some of the listeners that believe in kind of, you know, where you're kind of at. Cause I, I, I lean to your side a little bit too, is the fact that we're, you're getting comfortable with being uncomfortable when it comes to external things, but you're comfortable with who you are inside. Like the comfort, right. your comfort with yourself. I don't think you want discomfort or for who you are as a person. That's a, that's a stressful place to be in life where you're mm. waking up and you're uncomfortable with who you are as a person. That's, 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 that's anxiety riddle. That's stress inducing. But if you're comfortable, if I'm comfortable with Anwar, so I'm comfortable within and I'm comfortable with the discomfort of the world, like whatever you're going to throw at me, it creates a little bit of like, okay, I know who I am and I, I know I'm ready for your curveball. So what's up? 
You know what mm, I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, because to try to make, and yeah. this is in life, this is, this is all, oh, this least bleeds into the control where you can control ideology as well. Right. Yeah. True. It's saying like, don't try to control the external world and say, you want the external world to be comfortable. It's not going to be comfortable. Get, right. The external world, your viewpoint of that should be like, I'm willing to be uncomfortable with what the world has to give me. I'm willing to, I'm willing to get used to being uncomfortable with what the world is giving me because I can't mm-hmm. control the world. But what I can control is myself. And I, right. I should fight to become comfortable with myself because that's right. more important because I'm in, I'm in control of that narrative. And that bleeds really well with the building of that and the habits and the, and the stuff that we're going to talk about today. So mm-hmm. um, I'll save a bit of that conversation for that. I'll keep my, I'll, I'll do what you did last week and go the, the three route just to keep this, uh, the mood check in, uh, in, in smooth order. Um, physically, this was the best I've ever felt in a long time. Uh, and I, I, I felt the hesitation and wanted to even say the best I've felt in a long time because there's always like this like masculine thing of like, we can't be doing the best you've ever <laughs> There's always this room to grow. But, and yeah, you know what's I've, funny is that too is like, I think you've said that before. Like you've said, I felt the best that I have in a long time on previous episodes. So mm-hmm. what I like that you just did with the hesitation there to start to interrupt is that you were just acknowledging in my head, like there's still better. Like there's still yeah. better you could feel and a different type of feeling better, which mm-hmm. is what you're experiencing. Cause you just started a new regime, right? Yeah. Like I'm in a new regime. And when I say the best I felt in a while, it's just like, sometimes guys, you fall off, right? You fall off of your, your own expectation of who you are. And so the best I've ever, this is, I'm not the best shape of my life. I didn't say that. I said, that's the best I've ever felt in a while. Right. Which means that I, you know, I fell, I fell off. I have to gather myself and to collect myself. Um, and the trajectory that I'm on right now feels really, really inspiring and promising. So, um, and it's, it's, it's all riddled in this idea of longevity and long health and rehab. So I'm not at the gym doing all this crazy stuff. So it's very, it's easier to kind of measure because it's based on a feeling, right? I'm not looking for a bigger chest. I'm not looking for a bigger bicep. I just want to walk without pain or play basketball without pain. Right. So I'm able to measure those, um, those, those areas of improvement a little bit more easier and they're not, they're not riddled in, um, cosmetics or, you know, um, outside influence. Um, so feeling really good about that and, and, and it's bleeding into my mental life as well. I think that feeling good about myself physically, it's, it's bleeding to my mental life, which is great. Mm-hmm. My um, body, baby. Mentally I'm feeling, um, I'm going to say creative. Ooh, I think okay. for I like the, that word. Yeah. For, for a long time, I felt dormant in my creative abilities. Um, I felt like I was just kind of in, uh, we talk about this on the podcast all the time. You know, one of the reasons why we kind of went back to, you know, uh, uh, in every two week episode versus every week is that like when you're in execution mode, you don't have enough time to think about what you're doing. You're just trying to get it out. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it kind of eliminates your ability to be creative because it's hard to be creative in a place where, you need to be executing, right? I figured if I was ever to write a book or an album or whatever, the to me, the ideal thing to do would be to disconnect from everything else and focus on just the natural movement of like creativity as it comes to you, you know, like turn everything else off and focus sure. on like what kind of comes to you. Doing crazy, th- being really busy in an execution world takes away from creativity. So um, I feel like I've been a lot more creative. I feel like things are kind of coming to me naturally. If you look at my notepad, it's all over the place right now. I'm like motivated here. Then I write another thing and I write another thing. And I don't know if you know if they share a home, but it's just, um, which is cool. I love, I love being able to, you know, it just means my mind is clearing up in some certain spaces, which is, which is a good test. Um, and then spiritually, I would say I feel pretty grounded spiritually, emotionally. I feel pretty grounded. I feel, um, very, uh, content with, you know, um, where I'm at right now. And I've kind of accepted kind of the, the starting line of what this starting line is for me. Um, but 
in the name of self-development and, and, and growth, I, I, I'm, I'm satisfied, but never satisfied. Let's put it that mm. way. Yeah. Got a long, got a got a lot of things I want to do. Um, and building the right habits and the right, you know, setting the right goals mm. is going to be a big part of achieving all those things. So. There's a question that came to me as you were sharing that, and I think it bleeds well into this conversation is you mentioned at the end, I feel content. That word's always intrigued me, this word content. And I don't know how I've interpreted or what the, maybe the dictionary definition of it is. Hilariously, my language needs to know that, but <laughs> my language mind. But when you say that, when you say content, I feel content, mm-hmm. what does that translate to you as? Like, what is that feeling? Great question, because I think it differs for every single person. I think I can answer it specifically to me. Hmm. Me, content, maybe it doesn't, maybe it means different things to other people. For me, when I hear content, I'm an overthinker. Right. So when I'm not content, my brain is scrambled mm. because I'm trying to figure something like I'm it's everything is sleep gets hindered. Everything gets hindered because your brain is moving too fast. I'm like, I'm not settled where I'm at. So I'm trying to create some sort of like peace of mind or whatever the case may be. Right. So let's say if you're using peace of mind, for example, when I'm content, I have peace of mind when I'm not, I don't. And because I'm an overthinker, it like puts my system into overdraft. It's like a computer that's like can't handle the software processing system that it's using. And it's like overwhelmed. And then that bleeds obviously to all the other areas of my life. So when mm. I can say it consent tent, it's not that all my problems have gone away. It's not that mm. all my, I just, I understand the problems and I'm not overwhelmed. Like, I'm like, okay, those are the problems. And, and, and I have solutions in place to address those problems. Now we're in the game of reps. I can't, just because you can clearly define something and clearly know where you want to go mm. that that gives you a certain level of contentment but now there's work right like now there's just reps that i have to accumulate in, in order to create radical change right so right. um i can't get mad over reps that i haven't put in i got to put in the time right and i would, think that would you relate it to peace without saying peace or is peace different for you cuz you said peace of mind equals content um, and I feel like now that I'm processing it, maybe they're very much like one and the same, but I can feel my own resistance to saying I feel peace. Um, it feels like I need to be doing something. I need to have done already something. I'm not supposed to be actually doing anything. Peace is just nothingness. Um, do you feel that same way? I think that like, well, I think peace of mind, I, I think people want to separate like peace means no more work. Like mm. peace means I don't got to put in more reps anymore. Like I'm done the game, mm. like I'm peace. It's over to done. me. Peace is being able to have an assignment that you're comfortable with. Mm. If I handed you an assignment that doesn't, doesn't move you left or right. You're just like, yeah, that's my assignment. I understand it. I'm going to get the job done. I would say that person that's peace, mm. right? Like, is, is that not peace? Are you overwhelmed right. by the assignment? Do you get the assignment? Do you, right. I think where you don't have peace is when you're given something that's just too big for you. You, you're you going to have to now do all this extra research to figure out what the assignment even means. You don't even know what you're doing, blah, 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 blah. See how right, that's already stress, causing, that's already causing so much feelings. Mm-hmm. To me, peace is just a matter of being able to wake up, look at your schedule, look at your routines and believe in that process that is going to work. And I'm just, I'm peaceful at it. If I eat these things, do this routine and I, I, and I do these things for enough period of time, I'll become the person that I want to become. And I'm, I'm, I'm at peace with the journey. Let's put it that way. I'm at peace with the journey, implying mm-hmm. that there's still work to do. But I understand where I'm going, I understand where I'm at, and I'm at peace with it versus mm. not understanding the roadmap, not understanding what you're trying to achieve, not right. understanding which to this conversation, if you don't have clarity around the habits, the things that you're trying to achieve, it can cause like this 
lack of peace inside. Um, and then I think some people have peace as a def- their definition of peace is like completing the game. Right. Like they're not going to have peace until the game is done. And I'm right. like, if you're going to wait for peace, that sounds painful, dude. Sounds really painful. Like mm. if peace is the finish line. I don't know. Right. And I'm glad that you added that in there because I think that's such an important caveat to the idea of peace, at least personally. My personal peace is, is like you said, something you can attain in really the moment or in a day by engaging in practices and finding the right uh, system for you mentally, physically, spiritually, whatever it is. So I'm glad that you added that in because I think that's a really important part of the process. Um, and I appreciate you answering the question in that way. And what I hear you doing is what is exactly the focus of this conversation is, is, um, you know, how do we create our own life story? How do we define our lives for ourselves? How do we become the architect of our experiences in life? How do we do that? And we talk about habits. We talk about goal setting. We talk about big dreams and big visions. Uh, and, what we wanted to do today was dissect those more clearly specifically around what even is a life story. How do you become the architect and how do you know when you're not Um, creating habits and goals that actually work for you, that actually align with you. Um, And then just kind of discussing a bit about how uh, we process all of that at the end. But I like that peace is something that you can create today, which means you can create a life story or author your life story through a lens of peace as you move through whatever you're working through today. I really, really like that. And there's a word that I just used, um, architect. And you kind of phrased it earlier, but I like it because it's somewhat in a way I framed what I do with my coaching is that, um, you know, I I support my clients in being the architect of their relationship. Cause a lot of times the relationship that they're in was built by somebody else. It wasn't built by them. So that leads me into this conversation in the sense that at, at some point, I think, and hopefully this is that episode for you, uh, there is an acknowledgement that the life I have lived is not the life that I have built for myself. And so the foundation of that life is built on wobbly legs. It's the chair that if you somebody else were to join you and sitting on it would fall apart someone that you're almost balancing on yourself. Like you can't really get a good handle on it because it's always going left and right. And then one chair leg could snap at any point. And a a great analogy for me in being the architect and finding the foundation of your life for me is is imagining a house, right? You're building a house. Um, But if the house isn't built for you, it wasn't built by you, for you, then every gust of wind will blow it over. Every gust of wind will destroy it and the storms will do even worse. So you're constantly trying to rebuild this house for other people. And what we're focusing on today is how do you even begin to build the foundation of your house that you would like to build for you, essentially your home, your safe space, your life. How do you go about doing that? And I'm just going to start right out of the gate in my starting point was when a thunderstorm did come in and destroy the house that I had, be- I had built for other people and realizing that I had built that over and over and over and over and over again. And every storm blew it over, blew it over, blew it over. And there wasn't a foundation. You know, I was stepping in mud. I was stepping in concrete that never settled. 
Like I was stepping in these um, foundational ideas that weren't mine. I never created them for myself. They were other people's. They were my family, societies, friends. Go ahead. For context, just what do you mean by blown over? Just so that the audience understands. Uh, if a house is blown over, it's as if like or the leg breaks or what are you referring to when these, these are the concepts is that, is that it's, it's, I would say it's burnout. What, what is yeah, that? It's a moment of, of challenge or stress, anything that threatens the strength of what you've built or the strength of what you didn't know you built. So it would be a conflict, let's say in your relationship or even a conflict with you and I, uh, or, um, a difficult situation at work, like everything that you've been trying to build the smallest little challenge or issue that comes along is that is that gust of wind and it just blows everything that you have you're living under it blows it all over and the reference that i'm trying to make there is that um what we're, what we're focusing on is building a strong house almost an immovable tower if you will that is our life and if we didn't build it then we aren't standing on strength we're not standing on something that is ours, that is aligned with ours. It's constantly uh, an attempt to make other people happy, to appease our family, our friends, society. We're doing it for other people. So we're not really the author of our life. We're more the reactor to everything around us. And the smallest little nuance has the ability to blow all that over. It has all the ability to take all of that away. And it does. And we see that with our heightened emotional experiences or reactions to life. Things take us out really easy. They make us explode really easy. And those are some of the tells I think that let us know that what I have built is not actually something for me. It's not strength within me. It's mm -hmm. similar to what I said last episode. It's like being seen as somebody who is strong versus being somebody who is strong mm -hmm. internally. Yeah, I think what I'm gathering there, and I think the yeah, point. Wrap, that wrap it all there. around for us, because I went many ways, and I'm gonna <laughs> wrap it wrap it around for the audience. Yeah, yeah, I think I think I think the the main point we're making there is that if we're using this idea that a house is you know your life and you know it's your it's your story, the rooms in which you've designed yourself will withstand all the the challenges and the the tests that might come that way. So let's say the storm or whatever the case may be, and the how the the areas in the house that are, have been designed by other people are not going to survive against that same wind because they're, they're not internally your values. Right. Uh, so if you were to think of the house, all the rooms built by you after the storm might still be standing all the rooms that weren't built by you because there's no actual foundational things holding those structures down or holding those rooms down are going to blow away and they're not mm -hmm. going to be there anymore. Um, and that an example of that is, you know, some sort of value that was handed to you and you never tested, you never questioned, you never asked. And then someone in a debate goes, well, why do you feel that way? And you're like, uh, 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 I don't know. Like, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know why I don't, that'd be an example of a room in your house that you're not in control of. Cause that was designed by someone else. It was prescribed to you. You never questioned it. You never challenged it. And therefore now when there's someone who's pressing up on you to figure out why is this a room in your house? You have no idea what to say, you know, versus being like, yeah, I designed this room. It's in my house for a reason. And these are the reasons mm -hmm. why it's in my house. Um, you know, and I think that what we're trying to do is, you know, create a house that every single room is handcrafted and architect by and, and, and designed by yourself. 
therefore it's going to stand a bit more um, the the width of the, the the test of time and also like make you less of a make you more authentic which is what the goal is right is to be able to speak to every room in your house and be like yep that's there for this reason that's there for this reason that's there for that um, and anybody who uh, if let's say a house inspector person came in if you can't create value for every single room in your house you just look like a poor homeowner to go scott doesn't know anything about his house but he lives in it so um and you're not going to look as good to 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 yourself or to you know anyone that you're just you're kind of and the alchemist they call it like you know the sheep they refer to it as like the sheep just following along just kind of trudging along i i don't know if you heard what you just said there but when someone comes and inspects your home but you haven't been the one who has built it and you know nothing about it that that is like a powerful metaphor for being a human being when you don't know who you are or what you've built or why you've built it you just know it's there and someone comes in and asks you a question and prods a little bit and questions what is this and why is this and you don't have an answer like that's the most telling opportunity that i think would ever be given to understand that oh i don't actually I don't understand this, this thing I'm operating. I don't understand this life I'm operating. And I don't know why it is the way that it is. It just is that way. And so like a partner comes in and tries to inspect and you reject it or your family member or a friend questions something and you reject it because it's just who I am. But you haven't really ever done the work to discover why. That's good. That was good. House inspector. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm what using I like that. What I like about the way you gravitated to that too is just like this idea that someone comes into the house and goes, oh, hey, what's this room about? And you're like, don't go in there. Actually, get out of here. <laughs> and then you just, and you kick them out of your life. It's, it's, it's really a telling ex- experience for you, right? It's right. like someone who cares about you comes in and goes, yo, what's going on over here? And you're like, get out of here. Leave me alone. And it, it shows how scrambly you are in your own or how you haven't gone into that room on your own, right? Yeah. The feeling of like, oh, I haven't been in there for a long time. Yeah. And now someone's asking me a question about that. And like, what Don't the go hell? Into the basement. Don't right? go into the basement. Yeah. And I often say, you know, therapists, good friends, all that kind of stuff. Like I think a therapist at a professional level, what they really do is they, they, they invite you to go into that room that you're scared of. Mm. They don't change anything around. They just invite you to go into that room. And because you're so scared of what's on the other side of the door, they're there to kind of act as like the guy who, or the girl who's on your back when you skydive. Like this is your experience, but I'm just here to make sure that we get to the ground safely, right? Like this is not for me. I'm just Mm -hmm. your safety net. You're the one jumping. You're the one getting in this experience, but I'm your safety net for all the reasons why you're scared to be jumping out of this plane. Same way a therapist would walk you into a room and go, Hey man, let's go through these experiences. These are your experiences, but I'm your safety net to make sure that you get on the ground safely. And that when you Mm -hmm. panic, I can show you how to look at this room from maybe a different perspective. And then to the point where you get more comfortable getting into a room without the therapist. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of metaphors there, a lot of analogies there, but I definitely think that, you know, if you, if you can sit down and understand kind of what was shared in that couple minutes there, like there's some, there's some things to, 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 to look at things a different way. Yeah. And we could beat a metaphor to death. It's something that we love to do because there's so many extensions off of it. But really the the circling narrative there is how are you creating your own life story? How are you being the author, being the one who is writing the words on the paper rather than having somebody else write it for you? Mm-hmm. That's what we're really trying to gather there. And you know, we did it in many different ways, but one of the ways that we we do that, one of the ways as human beings that we can do that, becoming 
the author, and no longer the victim. A really simple way for us is to start creating new habits and setting new goals. And that is the second premise of this conversation. So something that Anwar and I both deeply value in our lives is personal development and not just talking the talk, but also walking the walk, which is one of the fundamental reasons why we created this podcast is to support you in having the tough conversations and then feeling confident and safe to take new action with this new knowledge. So what we've decided to do to support you in this is we've partnered with Men's League, a men's mental health platform whose biggest focus is to make a systemic shift in how we view what being a man is and what masculinity entails. Their mission is to provide a diverse group of like-minded men with a support system surrounding their mental health, their physical health, their financial aptitude, and their personal relationships. Men's League is a space where you commit to improving yourself. You commit to improving your mental health and becoming a better man. So what does Men's League offer? Well, let's get into it. First and foremost, they're a private community for men, which includes a chat forum and also monthly Zoom calls where you come together, discuss a topic, and you just partake in conversation with other men. I've taken part in so many of those. They're one of my favorite things. Mental health check-ins. So this is huge. This is unlimited 45-minute sessions with mental health professionals. Incredible. You always have that help at your access. Discounted one-on-one and group coaching services, a whole mental health resource library to help you manage your day-to-day and real-life issues. Exclusive membership offers. This is cool. They have discounts for men's clothing and health products. And this is my personal favorite part because I've partaken in it a lot is professionally made online self-development courses that you can take at your own pace. They're always available to you and they'll help you with your relationships, your physical health, and your financial aptitude. So if you're looking to get involved, we in Men's League are excited to offer you a 50% off of your first year membership. To do, to join the league, go ahead and click that link in the bio or go to mensleague.com and don't forget to enter a promo code MODERNMASK50 and get access to everything they have to offer. Men, we see you, we hear you, and we are standing tall beside you in this arena of misunderstood masculinity. We'll see you back in the episode. We've discussed in many different ways, but what we want to share today is more of a guideline, more of a structure, an actual system for you to be able to take, apply, put into place, and then just ask some simple questions surrounding what you're creating. So you know that you're always the one driving, that there isn't you know, a little inner child in you doing the driving, there isn't an inner parent in you driving, it's you. And if they want to come along for the ride, great, but you're the one pressing on the brake. You're the one pressing on the gas. You're the one turning left and right. You get to make those decisions and feel empowered to do so. So creating new habits and setting goals. I know for me, habits have been a long journey and something that I truthfully, I really maybe just didn't process until this moment will be a lifelong journey of processing new habits, how to implement them, what their value is, why can't I sustain them? uh, What do I hate, like, enjoy? Who's it for? All these questions, which we'll get into today. And I think setting goals uh, is definitely more your realm. I feel like goal setting has been an experience you've been a part of for a long time. Um, So why don't you begin um, by sharing, I guess, maybe your process in creating new habits and setting goals um, or what you have learned to share with them in the sense of this is how I do it. And this is maybe where I've learned that from. 
uh, or this is where I learned this from and this is why I do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you're correct in saying that. I think for me, all of the, all the things I've ever achieved in life and all the, other, all the success that's ever come my way, um, regardless of how you define success, has been at the backbone of a habit or the backbone of a goal that I had mm. set, you know, and, and typically one thing, you know, you set the goal and in order to get to the goal, it's a bunch of habits that you have to implement into your life, which is the architecture part. And then it's the, it's the work, it's mm. the reps, right? It's, it's setting habits, it's putting in the reps and having a target to go for and, you know, measuring that kind of success along the way. Extremely passionate about this. I really think that, you know, you can really change your life um, if you um, are able to do this in a successful manner. Um, now it is a, a big world, right? There's a lot of different people who set goals and all that kind of stuff. And I think that what this episode is and what I've kind of, you know, have been echoing to you is that like this, it's, it's not about the reading, the running, the going to the gym, journaling, metaphor. These are just types of habits you can like set. It's about the psychology of how you think about habits and how you think about what it can do for you. Um, and to give an example of that is like, if you were giving, if you were given a, whether it's, let's say dance or piano or whatever your craft is, if your instructor tells you the steps, you can do the steps, but if you don't know what the steps are, or how they contribute to the bigger picture, then, then you'll never understand. You'll never get there because you're just mm. regurgitating and doing reps, right? If someone tells you to meditate and you meditate, but like, what's the why? Right. And that's where, like, when we're, we're, we're there, I love how this conversation has gone because you kind of have to get into your own house and your own rooms and figure out what your whys are and then come to the, 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 the goal setting session and the habit setting session with that in mind already. Right. Um, my big guy, like, you know, big fan of James Clear, the guy who wrote Atomic Habits, every single podcast he's been on, every single, you know, when he opens his mouth about habits, it just resonates to my core. One thing that he said was, perceived value motivates you to act actual value motivates you to repeat mm. so if you can understand that if you perceive if it's a perceived value i.e maybe someone else told you to do it or like you know you're getting it from somewhere else like mm. oh like meditation journal whatever you can be motivated to like i'm gonna do that too right? Motivated right. to act because it's, it's a perceived value, right? But if it's an innate value, something you value deep, a room you've gone into in your own house and gone, I want to change this. It will actually motivate you to repeat. And it's only repeated actions that are considered habits, mm. right? Motivation is fleeting. Motivation is here today and gone tomorrow. If you get that Drake reference, good for you. But it's just, <laughs> that is the reality of motivation is it's, I've always said motivation is like coffee. It's in your system for a certain period of time, then it wears off and it's gone, right? It's not something you can like, like hone yourself in, especially if you don't really genuinely, it's not actual value, you know? Mm. Um, and he has the concept of 1%, 1% better every day, which is, you know, I just think that it's just, it brings it down to like the small thing, right? I saw, mm -hmm. I saw a diagram the other day of a slice of pizza. It was like, or, or it was a, a whole pie, the whole pie. And it was basically the analogy there was that the whole pie is like all of your goals, right? And then one slice of it is like the short-term goal of that bigger, that bigger goal, right? One slice of the pizza. And then it was like a bite of it is like the daily nugget, the daily thing that you do, right? And it's, if you think about it from eating, it's like, it's one bite at a time. It's not mm -hmm. eat the whole pizza. It's the whole pizza. This is what you want. 
one slice of that and then bites, small bites, right? And then ultimately, and then eventually, you know, that's you. You've gotten the pizza, right? So did it's you, like- Did you just call a pizza a pie? Can I just clarify that for a second? Did you just yeah. call pizza? You did. Yeah, yeah. Pizza like in, in, in America is known as like a pie. Like people call it like the whole thing. It's, it's a pie. Hmm. My life's changed. I can see that very clearly now. <laughs> that the pizza is an is a pie. Wow. So I really like pie, not pizza. Wow, that's good. Sorry to interrupt there, but it. Uh, <laughs> what it brought me to to not go too aggressively forward um, is when you were talking about the why. The language that came to me was finding the intrinsic value, not the extrinsic value. So the extrinsic value is like the external validation, the societal approval, uh, being a part of, um, I don't know, another group of sorts. And, And I think if you understand the depth of that, it can not necessarily be harmful. It can still be helpful in the right choice, but um, the intrinsic value will always trump whatever is on the outside and the intrinsic being, you know, I want to build um, an internal safety, uh, safety uh, container, or I want to build more inner trust, or, um, you know, I want to feel internally good. Like you said, you've changed up your routine for working out to be able to have more of an intrinsic value base rather than extrinsic value base. Mm -hmm. Um, So that depth of questioning is what you just phrased in a sense as something that will withstand the storm moving forward rather than something that will get wiped out by the smallest nuance. Absolutely. And, and I think that you do by you sharing that it allowed us to get into the masculine side of things, right? Mm. The, the masculine goal setting is a lot of intrinsic stuff sometimes because that's what mm. we believe society wants us to be, right? The money, the fitness, the, this, the, that. So we end up getting into this rat race of setting a lot of extrinsic goals and not a lot of internal goals. Right. It also bleeds to this idea that like to have an intrinsic goal, you got to understand yourself. You got to understand those feelings. You got to understand those emotions that we've been suppressing for a long time. It's hard to set an intrinsic goal. If you don't even know who you are, don't understand what you're feeling. You've been suppressing. It's hard to tell someone, Hey, set an intrinsic goal. You've been suppressing your emotions your whole life. Mm hmm. Right. Like that's a, that's a tall ask, right? What right. is intrinsically motivating you? Like, buddy, I haven't, t- I haven't dealt with those feelings ever. What, how do I know? Right. right? Like and we're skipping we've almost a big chapter it here in the sense of like my extrinsic focuses are my intrinsic ones. Like that's how far we can get to is like getting that house and that success and that money is what I feel is intrinsic when really it's extri- extrinsically intrinsic. <laughs> that didn't come through, but it's, it's the outside driving the inside when the inside needs to drive the other way, inside driven, not outside driven. But we get so confused. I've done that too many times in my past. I, I know the pockets in my life where I've been focused on building something outside of myself and not knowing what it has been for inside of myself. Mm-hmm. And it has always failed. It has always led me to depression and tough times and challenges. And none of it has felt like it would stay. I knew that it wouldn't. I knew that I could give it up, but I kept fighting for it because I wanted to make sure that everybody saw me that way in this specific habit or goal or success or routine. And so I got so confused in my mind about what is my intrinsic value? Because like you said, I had so long ago, I I left it in a box and put it in the basement and I forgot about it. I didn't know where it was anymore. So I had to go searching for it. And it took me a while to figure out what is my intrinsic focus here? What is the internal dialogue 
And what does it have to say? What is it, where is it, where does it want to drive today rather than letting something else outside of me determine if I was going to go down that highway or this one? Very well said. And I think that like, sometimes that's why I think that goal setting is a little bit of this fluffy world because it's like, it is different for every single person. You know what I mean? You have to understand yeah. what your block is, right? Sometimes the block is not the fact that you're not a hard worker and you can't put the reps in your block is that you're not that connected to yourself. Mm. So when you set the goal, it's not a very good goal, right? It's mm. not the way you wrote, wrote that goal, the driver of that goal, all of that, but you're a hard worker. Reps are easy for you to come by. You can set something and put the reps in, but it's mm -hmm. how you set the goal. Some people, they, they, they have zero like work. They don't want the work, but they're very good at setting a goal. So for them, it's a matter of like breaking down it into smaller pieces that don't feel rep like, but are still achieving rep like results. Right. Mm -hmm. But the way they've set their goal is very aligned. Right. And then when you you just think about like you, whether you're dealing with, you know, the masculine energy or the feminine energy, it's just like if the, let's say the feminine energy and in general, women are more in tune with their emotions, how they want to feel about something, they're probably going to write a goal based on how they want to feel about the goal. Right. Mm -hmm. Not this idea that they're going to go through the ringer and that they're going to, you know, die by any cost. Like they're, they genuinely in, in their goal setting is this perception of, I want to feel like this. Therefore I'm going to write this goal in. It's inherently, you know, something that they come to a little bit quicker than men do. Right. In the masculine energy, this goal is like this lofty number with no real emotion attached to it. This, this like lofty, you know, fitness physique that has no real, you know, consideration for your anatomy and how your, you know, how your body wants to be and how it naturally wants to feel and all of those things, right? Because you're suppressing the feeling for a thing, a, you know, this lofty type of thing. So it's like, if you can understand how you're setting goals from that perspective, like, am I a feeler? Do I understand how I feel? Am I including how I want to feel as a part of the goal that I'm setting? Am I, mm -hmm. am I adding these things into the, the, like, what does 200 K mean to you? What is the feeling behind that? What are you trying to achieve? And then if you track that back, 200 K will make me impress every girl that I ever wanted to impress. Okay. Well, now we found a problem. Why do you want to impress every girl you want to impress? Yeah. Why does that matter? Right. Why you, is that? Why is that a thing? Right. There's something profound in there that I, I need to, before we move, I need to question. You said that in many ways, like the example would be if, if you were deeply connected to your own feelings, then you would understand that you know how you would want to feel. Therefore, you'd create a gold and desire of that feeling. There's nuances there about like you could create it now. You could just feel that now. Not necessarily always true, but I think it's a, a more helpful way of setting a goal. But here's the incredibly interesting paradox there is how many of the goals that you have set in your life are actually goals to not feel something. To, you're running from a feeling rather than chasing a feeling. So like I'm running from stress, therefore I'm going this way. I'm running from overwhelm, so I'm going this way. I'm running from hurt or pain or shame or guilt, so I'm, I'm just running. I don't know what I'm chasing, but I'm just, I know I don't want to go there, so I'm going to run away from that. Mm -hmm. That for me, like that, that, just, that just sat so powerfully in an identifier of what the intrinsic desire is but for creating a habit or creating a goal. Like a habit would be meditating. Okay, well, it's because I want to feel good, but am I running from something by meditating? Am I choosing not to face something by listening to somebody else guide me rather than processing what I'm running from? You know, like what is the, it's a question that I ask some of my clients, like what feeling are you running from? And what feeling are you chasing? Because it's really good information. Um, but I didn't ever really attach it to 
this idea of setting a goal or setting mm-hmm. an intention or a practice or a habit. Um, so that I just, I needed to get that out. Cause that was, that was great. That was great. Stemming from exactly what you just said, like being in the position of intrinsically desiring a feeling more consistently. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I think you, add, uh, you, you added a, a very valuable layer of, uh, of advising on that as well. I think that what feeling are you running from and what feeling are you chasing? Very profound data, very profound data because yeah, like let's, 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 let's take the money one, right? I grew up in a very poor environment. All of my money goals are to get out of a poor environment, right? Mm-hmm. I'm running from the feeling of poverty, scarcity. Um, those are all the things I'm running and I'm leaving behind. Mm-hmm. I'm running towards abundance and, you know, uh, financial freedom and all of those kind of things. But then the, the the thing that you can add to that is like, well, why do I want the financial freedom? Right. Why do I want the abundance yeah. outside like of it, just what's your getting, driving force? Yeah. Outside of yeah. just getting out of being poor and being in a scarce mindset. Right. And then, you know, cause that, that is motivating in itself. Right. Totally. Like that to me, like that running from that feeling to that feeling is great. The heightened version of that, the more self-aware version of that is like, what do you want the financial freedom for? And what are you going to do with that? You know, mm-hmm. cause and that what does it is, mean? Cause like, what's the end there? Is there an end to that? Exactly. And so if we all on a piece of paper, right, we want financial freedom. I think the, the awareness that shows you that you understand yourself is like the, the bullet points underneath the financial freedom. And that's where we all differ, right? That's where it's like, it becomes customized to you. Right. And I think that if you, you use that customization as a way to drive yourself, as opposed to just the term financial freedom, you'll probably get a better chance at getting there because those things are rooted in who you are, right? I want to set up XYZ back home or I want to help the youth in sports or I want to help the... These are all these things I'm going to do with financial freedom. Well, that sounds like it's going to be a lot more anchoring than just being like, I want financial freedom because it sounds way more customized to you. It sounds way more like why you want the financial freedom. Um, and even sometimes there's cliche things, right? Like buy your mom a house. Like I feel like mm-hmm. that could be a lot of people's goal, right? But it's like, if you can even go one layer down, right? Buy your mom a house. And then underneath that, right? Because she deserves it. Because she's gone through this. Because she's gone through this. Because she gave me this. If you are anchored in the why you want to buy your mom a house more than the buy your mom a house, you'll probably get there. Because mm-hmm. those small bullet points are really the real the, the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Versus this writing down on a piece of paper, buy your mom a house. Okay. And a lot of people write that shit down. And being radically honest with yourself with that bullet point. Cause like, it's easy to jump into the grandiose self-righteous answers of like, because they did this and because they did that. And because they served me this way and just writing those things because it's what you're supposed to write, but being so fucking radically honest with yourself when it comes to it is, are you doing it to look better in the eyes of others? Is it for other people? Cause yes, it's technically this for this person, but is it still for some other stronger driving force that you've been ignoring and you refuse to write down because it might look on this piece of paper, like you're not a great person that you're trying to be so badly knowing yourself to that extent is so important. Mm -hmm. And that's why this questioning and bullet pointing is so huge because the question that I'm going to extend into this conversation is, is your choice and your decision driven by desperation or desire? Is it an intrinsic desire or is it out of desperation, out of a desperate attempt to be validated, to be, to belong, to be loved, to be the things that 
we are running from, which is fear of not being loved, fear of not being validated. What is that desperate choice? And can you turn that desperation into a form of desire by just getting in tune with what, why you've been running with it from it in the first place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you speak to a very, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rub some people the wrong way, but it's like, are you buying your mom your house the same way you're buying a Lamborghini to signal? Right. To signal. Exactly. Are you, are you signaling with that or do you, do you really value? And I want to correct myself there. I, you know, I, I, it's been more of a knee jerk reaction. I always say, buy your mom a house, buy your parents a house. You know, if your dad's in the picture and they're doing their thing and they, they're also deserving um, of whatever goals you have for them. I think sometimes the- that's so good right there. That's it, That's just that. I really appreciate that awareness because that's a really good point to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there's, you know, obviously there's, parent dynamics are tough, right? Raising kids are tough. There's no one way to do it. Um, and I think that just because your own circumstance might have one out of the other, it doesn't mean that, you know, the other doesn't deserve. So I don't want to take the dads out of the situation. Cause I think that, you know, dads do the dads that are there and they do a good job. They deserve a nod as well. And I think that mm-hmm. it's this idea that like, you know, I don't know. I don't know why the genetic makeup is that way, but I always hear buy your mama house, buy your mama house. I feel like as if dads aren't, aren't around and, you know, aren't doing their thing. And some of them aren't and it's warranted, but the ones that are there, we see you, we hear you and we're here for you as well. So mm-hmm. respect to those dads. I do think there is a bit of a, a genetic component to that. There's a book called uh, the body keeps score that does speak to that, not to go on a riff here, but it does speak to the fact that the if not all of our, uh, patterns of behavior relationally, um, and like anxious versus avoidant versus secure. A lot of those, if not all of it is stemmed directly from the, the mother relationship for all genders, the relationship that you have with your mother, cause that's your everything that is your full supplier of everything. And so there's still attachment still there. Anyways, there is, there is a science I think to that, that does speak to that, but society also does play a big part in, uh, separating almost fatherhood from the nurturing parental providing mm-hmm. experience. So buy mom a house is what everybody thinks. And they do just tend to f- completely forget about the fact that, oh yeah, there were, there, there's a family. I'm buying my family house. It's just a different dynamic, but interesting interlude before, before you go, because I, this, the, this thought might never come back to my mind and it's just so <laughs> profound. <laughs> I think, and it, and it plays to the big problem of the masculinity thing, right? If you grew up in a, in a, let's say a more traditional type of household where your mom was at home, she was taking care of the family, doing all the nurturing, uh, and maybe the dad was outside of the home doing more of the providing and stuff like that. Um, and the mom was getting a little bit more of those intimate reps, right? In front of the kids, always kind of there for those intimate reps while the dad is kind of, you know, out and in the and, and really holding together how the food is on the table, how the roof is over the head, and all of those kind of things. And then you grow up, and it's this idea of like buy my mom a house, right? Because of all these intimate small reps that were you felt them, they were like emotional, right? You were in them. Where dad was more out of sight, out of mind, and kind of doing their work in the back end. We kind of, in a weird way, we get to this place like that's what dad's supposed to do, though. Do you know what I mean? It's this idea that like, yeah, he's supposed to work and he's supposed to, but we don't see, we don't, there's, there's not a reward system clicked in because there's not an emotional attachment to what dad does. Mm. Right. But it's like, it's almost like you discount the fact that it's like, they don't. And I think a lot of times you, you see this, right? Like you'll see this in family dynamics where dad is not always around because he's physically at work. 
right? Mm-hmm. He's physically doing the part that holds the house together. And mom is always around. So you you gravitate towards mom a little bit more. But in the same token, it's just like you get to this this thing that like as a as a man, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, you can't get extra. Mm. Right? You can't get you know, if, if, if you're, if, if you're not following that, it's just like, well, I want to do things for my mom because she does extra. She does all these extra little things that I didn't know. Like, it's this little extra moment here. It's this little extra moment there. It's this little extra moment here. Cause she's in your face. She's always around. She's kind mm-hmm. of being able to monitor your behavior. And you feel like the reps she's putting in has this like thoughtfulness to it. And it's got this like extra little seasoning on it. And it's like, you feel like, Oh my God, mom, like looks out for me. Like she's got my back where the things that dad's doing doesn't feel the same way. It doesn't feel like he's got your back because he's not there for these small. Mm-hmm. He's just, he's just doing the like clock in clock out, clock in clock mm-hmm. out. And so because we don't perceive it as extra, because we see it as like, Oh, let's call it entitled. Like he's supposed to do that. That's, that is his role. You feel like when it comes to your turn to give back, you're like, well, mom did all these things for me that I felt. And you just mm-hmm. did what you were supposed to do. Right. That's an interesting perspective. And to, and to extend it to, off of it, because that's huge, is that the dad, the father is providing anyway. So why would you provide for a provider? Like he was already doing it. So the thought of providing the father with something is like, well, you're a man, like provide for yourself. Like the narrative is so deep in that side as well, right? Like it's, that's revolutionary in the sense of deciphering the way in which we view our parental figures and especially as men and how we approach those situations. And I think you just gave language to why we speak the way we speak, like why we approach things the way that we approach in that dynamic. That's great. To get back to the conversation, something that came to me that was, I think a really good idea is we talked about James Clear earlier. We talked about his habit breakdown experience in his book. If you haven't read his book, we both highly suggest you do so. Uh, we've both read it. It's incredible. Absolutely phenomenal. But I thought it would be a good idea to provide you with a basic resource that he also provides. I'm going to put the link in the uh, show notes for this. It's essentially how to create a good habit. It's very simple. And I like the way that it's framed because it's all digestible without having to extend your capacity to some extravagant level. It's just simply breaking it down step one, step two, step three in how to create a good habit. Because again, the habits are the foundation of your life. What are you repeating? What are you repeating within yourself and without? So to run through it, the first one it says is I use an implementation intention, which essentially he phrases as I will meditate hypothetically at time. So at 9am on my deck, I will meditate at 9am on my deck. That's your step one. So creating an actual implementation, this is exactly what this is going to look like. And I didn't do this much in my own habits. I just said, I'm going to do this daily. Um, and that didn't always work out. So I like the phrasing of, I will do this at this time in this specific location. So you can also set up the location. Then from there, use habit stacking. So after this habit, I will blank. So after I meditate, I will journal. That's literally my routine. I literally used habit stacking to make that work. So after habit, I will new habit. Step four is making sure your environment is set up for this. So if you are going to have this habit at this location, what does this location look like? Is it cluttered? Is it a disaster? Is it all over the place? Is it set up for success is essentially what this is getting at. Design your environment and make it something that you want. Make it something that you appreciate and you enjoy. 
moving forward into there is pair an action you want to do with an action you need to do. I love this one. We tend to get into uh, actions that aren't what we need to do. They're actions that don't get us further. They're almost in a way to avoid what we need to do. So creating the meditation, what do I need, need to do after that? Maybe it's prep for a podcast. Maybe it's have a conversation with my partner. How can I set it up almost in a habit stacking way where I meditate and then I'm going to go do this and I meditate and then I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go for a run and then I'm going to do this. It gives you the opportunity to use the habit as motivation for everything else. Then from there, uh, join a culture where your desired behavior is the normal behavior. So environment, environment, environment. There's no joke when they say your environment matters. And if you can change it into the desired space, then highly suggest doing so. Even if it's just a Facebook group or a WhatsApp group, getting into that environment of where people are maybe already doing the things that you want to do is going to be a huge help for creating an actual habit. Create a motivation ritual. So do something you enjoy immediately before a difficult habit. This one was interesting for me, creating a motivational ritual, because I think a lot of times in my past, I was waiting for motivation. I was hoping motivation would come to me rather than creating my own. And I even looked at it as if I were to watch a YouTube video that would motivate me, that it wouldn't be my intrinsic motivation. So I would avoid it. I wouldn't watch it because why can't I, why can't I feel it? Why am I just not feeling it? Why do I have to look outside of myself for it? So I actually avoided that journey, which is interesting to look at now. Um, but knowing this is, can I watch that video that I do enjoy and then take on something that's a little bit more difficult that has a little bit more oomph needed from me to accomplish. Those are kind of the first two essentially laws that he says. There's a third and the fourth law. I wanted to stop and see if anything had come up for you as I was sharing this process. No, this is this is this is great, and and this is this to be honest, this speaks to the the getting into practice, right? Because we're getting a little bit of the philosophy and the psychology of it. But this is great, right? This is if you feel like you understand the psychology and the philosophy of goal setting and all that kind of stuff, you want to put start putting things into action. This is a great, great, great method of doing so. Beautiful, excellent. So the next part, this is one I actually really appreciate because this is where I get lost. Um, it's reduced friction. So in decreasing the number of steps between you and the habit you want to create. And what this meant to me was, and I still do this, I meditate and I, or I've got back into meditation, but there's a, fric there's a point of friction that almost stops me every single day. And it's choosing the meditation. So I have insight timer and I go in and next thing I know I'm scrolling. Mm -hmm. An insight timer, trying to find the right one. Uh, and that's creating friction for me to maintain this habit. Mm -hmm. So how can I decrease that by choosing it maybe the night before mm -hmm. instead of in the moment or picking one for the week and just following that one, getting out of the intense amount of options we have for everything and just picking one and driving that home. And then if you start to like want to change it, don't do it in the moment you're about to do the habit, do it beforehand set yourself up for success as we touched on earlier. That one I really liked. Prime the environment. So prepare your environment. We already discussed that. Uh, master the decisive moment as he phrases it. So optimizing the small choices that deliver outsized impact. This is really the title of his book is uh, tiny, tiny actions, big results, 
I believe is how it's coined, but just getting into this mindset that the 1% over time compounded is the greatest choice you can make. Because if you're trying to get to that 100, you may not actually accomplish that. You'll feel worse about yourself. You won't try again because of how big the failure was. Reaching for 100 right out of the gate uh, is more likely going to cause more harm than help. But the 1% is the easy route. And this is something that he prides this book on is choose the easy route. Use the two-minute rule is the next step. Downscale your habits until they can be done in two minutes or less. And this is, again, making it easy. So this would be if I were to meditate each day, committing to 10 minutes may not be where you're at. Commit to two. Hell, commit to 60 seconds. At least you're doing it and you're getting your nervous system and your body and your day used to this experience, used to acting this way and knowing this is what we're in for and knowing that it's just for 60 seconds. That's it. And if it's not perfect, at least you did it. That's the goal there. Automate your habits. So invest in technology and one-time purchases that lock in future behavior. For me, this was an app called the Done app. And what this app did for me was it allowed me to create consistency. It tracked how many days in a row I was doing this habit. And I really liked that the number was going up, right? I get to get to 10 and then 20, 50, 100. It was just, I was chasing a number, which I now reflect on and maybe wasn't the best motivator. However, did it make that habit consistent? Yes, it did. Did I have to reframe that in the future? I did. And did I have to also kind of work through rigidity and control? I also had to do that. But if you're looking to invest in a habit and make it autonomous and make it something you don't have to stress about or have so much inner conflict about, automating through an app is going to be your best bet. It's essentially your accountability buddy on your phone. That's what it would be. The fourth law, use reinforcement, get yourself an immediate reward when you complete your habit. I didn't really attach to this one and I know why. It was because I didn't feel like I deserved a reward. If I meditate for 60 seconds, what do I deserve in that moment? This conversation around like, I deserve it if I only do X is such a, a I want to almost call it a toxic, toxic approach. So what would this look like? 60 seconds meditating and then I get a sip of my coffee because that's my first sip of the coffee of the day. That could be a simple reward. It doesn't have to be, I go buy myself a Ferrari because I meditated for 60 seconds. But what is the small, tiny, nuanced reward that you can give yourself? Honestly, I actually think psychologically, if you just pat yourself on the back or here's a radical one, give yourself a hug. After you do these things, I think the body psychologically and physically would allow the celebration to settle in. I like that phrasing. I've never looked at it that way before. I really like that. I think I'm going to start doing that is patting myself on the back. That's good. Appreciation. Uh, make doing nothing enjoyable. When avoiding a bad habit, design a way to see the benefit. Revolutionary for me because control was a big part of this. I needed to control the outcome. I needed to control the consistency. I became so consistent that I couldn't let go of the consistency. So if life got in the way, ebbed and flowed, I would really stress out. And it created almost addictions to these things. I was addicted to the gym. Did it so consistently that I could not feel safe missing a day. I could not. And so knowing that it's okay was a journey, a process of learning. And I think that's what he's attesting to here. Make doing nothing enjoyable. Can I allow myself to rest in the fact that today I'm not going to do that? And that's okay. 
It doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. It doesn't mean that I'm not consistent or that I can't figure anything out. It just means today it's not happening and I can do it tomorrow. And that's okay too. That one's huge. Give some space to that. Use a habit tracker. Kind of already talked about this, uh, keeping track of your habits. You can do it through an app. You can do it online. You can have an accountability partner. And then the last one I really like at the whole, this is the last step of them all is never miss twice. When you forget to do a habit, make sure you get back on track immediately. I'm going to, I'm going to add a caveat here for me personally. Uh, I think if you are in the beginning stages of creating things, I agree with this wholeheartedly. Once you step out of that beginning phase, I quite disagree with never missing twice. I think that once you've established the motivation, the inner inspiration, the intrinsic value through moving through the initial stages of creating a specific habit, missing twice isn't going to be to your detriment. It's going to be something you know is happening more for an intention and purpose. So cold showers for me are something I do every day. If I do miss twice in a row, I know how easy it is for me to get back into it because I understand deeply the intrinsic value of that. And I generally only miss twice based on external circumstances, things changing. If I need, if I change an environment, for example, then maybe I do need to miss two days because it's not there for me. Um, what happens in life may have that shift in a way that twice is missed, but I agree wholeheartedly if you're in the beginning stages, do not miss twice miss once because missing twice may break that loop and may actually pull you right out of the habit. So that's atomic habits, the cheat sheet, as he calls it, I'll put that link in the bio, uh, sorry, in the, uh, show notes so that everyone has it. If you want it, it gives a good example of how to create a good habit. Sick. You know, I already told you how much I feel about James clear. He's the, he's the man. <laughs> He opens his mouth about habits. He opens his mouth about goal setting. And it's just, it hits me in, a, in, in such a deep way that it's just like, and for me, it was more so like I kind of did the lived experience version and then I kind of got into him and it was just mm. like, wow, like put it all together, everything. Yeah. You were saying everything I've felt or I've, you know, pitfalls I've fallen in. And like, you know, it was just kind of like, oh my Lord, I've never resonated with something so deeply. Um, I'm going to go a different route. You know, you gave a lot of the philosophies and a lot of the execution of how to go there. Let me give the why. So, you know, I wrote a bunch mm. of these down and let me give some of the whys and unpackage the reasons why or the con or the psychology behind some of this stuff, because everything here is written in psychology, right? He's big on psychology. So I will meditate at, he said, I will blank at this time on this. Let's, let's break that down. I will let's use meditate as the, as the habit. That's what mm -hmm. I'm trying to achieve, you know, at a certain time, right? The certain time is automating the habit or taking out the, it's reducing the friction. It's at seven. Mm -hmm. I don't got to decide when I'm doing this at, right? It's right. at seven. So he's reducing the friction by the way he's writing that on the patio, more reducing the friction, but what the patio ends up becoming, this is an important element for understanding habit stack. It starts to become the cue. When you see the patio, you think I'm meditating, uh, right? I love that word, the cue. It's the cue. It's the thing that gets you to do the, it's, oh, it's the architecture part of this whole thing, right? Like when you start designing habits, you start designing certain things, you do certain things in certain areas. By the time your body, when you walk it, like if you work at a gym, when your body sees the gym, it's like, oh, I know what I'm about to go through. 
right? The gym becomes a cue. The, 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 wherever you meditate becomes a cue for meditation, wherever you, you know, you going into the, how you start your process in any certain way, but starts becoming your cue, right? So he's writing that because he knows when you, you know, you do something at the same spot every single day, your body starts to resonate with that habit, right? In that area. So the habit, the time and the cue are really important in being able to identify that. So you understand what to do. And he's doing that because he wants to reduce the friction and he wants to create an environment in which, you know, you're able to, you know, understand, um, habit stacking. Obviously I think that, you know, when you get into his work, it's very easy to understand being able to stack habits. I'm going to go to the one, you know, pairing the act that you want to do with the one that you, you need to do, right. It's this idea. I love how all this stuff is intertwined. He's talking, he's, he's really leaning to the whole, um, creating a motivational routine, right? If you do something you want to do before something you don't want to do, the thing that you want to do is going to be the motivating element here to get you through the thing that you don't want to do, right? That's mm -hmm. the element. That's the motivational cue there. It's like, that's what's going to give you. And what I love about that is he's essentially taking the idea of coffee, right? This whole motivational routine and saying, okay, well, I know motivation is fleeting. And I know that we need to go get it sometimes when you don't have it, which is going out and purchasing a coffee is like, well, let's, let's manufacture the motivation. What do you want to do? Right. And let's use this good energy that you've created from something that you want to do to, you know, take on something that you don't want to do. Absolutely love that. Um, you know, joining a group that, you know, is it's more normalized, the thing that you're trying to get into, the habit that you're trying to get into. Sometimes that's difficult to do in 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 in, in action, but it's definitely gonna help you um in terms of kind of your ability to overcome or achieve and get into that habit. Um I want to go all the way back and let's talk about what a habit actually is. I love how James Clear defines it, right? So ha habits are behaviors honed over time to a point where it's on autopilot, mm -hmm. right? Um, that's one way he defines a habit. It's the way that we know it to be the, the, the easiest way. This second way is like, oh my God. Like for someone who's been in this space for a long time to hear it like this was like, oh, Wow. He phrases it as habits are the way of finding solutions to reoccurring problems, right? Mm -hmm. And so the simple metaphor he uses there is that like, let's say something tiny, you wake up, you got to wear your shoes. You realize, oh, I got to learn how to tie my shoes. This is a problem. If these shoelaces are undone, I got to learn how to tie them. Then you learn how to tie them. And that's the solution to that problem. And then you do it every day. You just do it all the time. It's, it's the, the new solution. It's the habit that you have to deal with the problem of tying shoes, Right. The more realistic one, the more like the more one that we could probably resonate with in this exact theory is that like you come home and you're stressed, right? That's the problem. I'm coming home and I'm stressed. He says, we can deal with that stress a variety of different ways. One might come home and have the exact, they all have the exact same feeling of coming home and I'm stressed. One might deal with that with playing video games. That might be the habit that they replace that feeling with. Some might come home and go, I'm going to do yoga and meditate. And that's the way they deal with stress after they come home. Someone might go, I want to light a cigarette. And now that's the habit that they've used and is in place for coming home in their stress, right? What I love about this, this whole concept is that like, just because we have the same cue coming home and the same feeling, feeling stressed, doesn't mean we're all going to gravitate to the exact same habit that we use to fit that spot, mm -hmm. right? So it speaks to this idea of like, it's not sometimes the most optimal habit that we have in place to deal with the things that we're dealing with, right? And so if you come home and, and you have a, like, let's say the cigarette is the way that you get rid of that stress. Yeah, that's the habit that we have right now, but it doesn't mean it's the most optimal one right? Mm -hmm. Like we could probably, we could maybe optimize the habit to get to a more long-term solution versus like a Western medicine style, right? Mm -hmm. 
here's a problem, here's the fix, cool, band-aid solution. It's the habit that I have in place now. It's the habit that I always do. Maybe it's you come home and you, you binge eat. And that's like mm-hmm. how you deal with that habit, right? But can you promote and upgrade these upgrade you whatever your trigger is right now or whatever your 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 habit is right now to something that's a little bit more sustainable something that's a little bit more holistic so i love this concept that like really habits are just these things that we do as, as these solutions to all these reoccurring problems that we have in our life and by getting on top of them or optimizing our solutions we're able mm-hmm. to get to a place of you know true desire or true self like, you know, highest self or whatever the case may be. So, um, I really love that way of looking at habits and being like, well, what solution do I have in place for these problems? Right. Yeah. Um, and you bring up a good point to you. Two things. One is like, definitely need an episode on how to stop the habits you don't want. I think that's a really optimal, uh, opportunity for conversation. And two, um, a problem that I want to share was, uh, I wake up and I'm, I'm tired and generally grumpy. The problem was, is that I was allowing that to affect how I treated my partner in the morning. And really, essentially, I was also treating myself that way. So this was the problem I was facing. So what did I do? I found a way to move through that by doing cold showers every morning. Every morning, before I really interact with the world and with her, I take a cold shower. It livens me up. It gives me more of a focus. It centers me, it grounds me, and then I'm able to approach the day from a completely different viewpoint. I solved the problem by creating the habit just giving in more context because I really like the way that that was just phrased. And that's, that's a great way to tie it up, right? That's exactly what it is, is, um, and then sometimes it's like, okay, cool. If the, if the habit goes away, let's say like for a couple of weeks there, you had hot water, you didn't have cold water, right? Now you have, oh, okay. Now the habit that I had to solve the problem, I'm going to either change it or do something different, but I'm solving a problem nonetheless, mm-hmm. right? I'm just, I'm really just trying to solve a problem. And what we put in, in place of that problem, it becomes our habits and we become that person, right? Um, and then the last thing that I love to kind of tie all those things together, that kind of speaks to the optimization. Because we will, why do I need to optimize it, right? Because the reality is that our habits are, you know, our habits essentially become who we are. We're able to transform who we want to be and who we are through our habits, right? And so how we set these habits and, and why we want to optimize them is this idea that like they are the difference between where we are and where we want to go, right? It's, it's, it's the time under tension. It's the continuous reps in, you know, understanding where you want to go and where you are. And it's just literally math wise or calculation wise, it's just a matter of repetition, right? It's just, it's, it's, it's a repetition thing. Um, and so, those are some things that I wanted to kind of add on the psych- psychological thing. I think that there's, there's so much more, right? Or there's so much more you can dive into, but I think those things are really, really important to understand. Um, and the, the last thing I wanted to leave with is um, this idea of our reward systems. Mm. One thing that I love that he, he also talks about is that the cost of a, like you, to the cost of the habit is paid and is paid now, right? Which is the work. So if you have a if you have a if you have a habit that you're trying to obtain, the cost of it, the work of it is now, but the reward of it is delayed, mm. right? So when we pay for things, we usually want it now, right? I put in X, I give you money, I give in time, give me the result right away. The problem with habits and goals is that it doesn't work that way. You have to pay upfront, and the reward is delayed. Right. So that usually a lot, that usually causes friction because we were like, why am I paying? And I'm not getting anything back. 
and we fall right. out of our routines, we fall out of our habits and we're like, what the hell's going on here? Right. One can say, cool, I'm going to adopt delayed gratification. That's really going to help. Or I'm going to accept that. Like, you know, but that's not how we feel as I worked out, I'm going to lift my shirt up. Where are the abs? That's not, it doesn't, it doesn't really resonate. Right. So he always talks about this concept of, um, you know, bringing the reward into the present moment, which speaks to what you were saying, the 60 second meditation coupled by something that you like. Right. And so what he's speaking to there is the best way to change long-term behavior is short-term feedback, right? Something that allows you to perceive what you're doing, all this work that you're doing in a positive light right now. Right. This idea of, you know, you know, the rewards are going to come later, but how can we bring short-term feedback? How can we bring short-term typically positive feedback to this idea of the cost that I'm putting into something in mm -hmm. order to sustain a long enough period of time of repetition to get to what I'm actually trying to get to, um, which is, you know, we talk about the journey here all the time and honoring the journey and all those kind of things. And it just speaks to that very clearly. Right. Um, and he, um, he, the two minute rule, two minute rule speaking about how hard it is to optimize the starting line. Most of the things in this world that are hard to do are at the beginning of it, not at the end. It's really hard to get into something. And that's why he says, don't miss two days in a row. That's why he says it's because getting into something and getting into a habit and automating a habit is really, really hard. That is, that is the barrier to entry in this space is that we can't, we can't get into it long enough for it to become a habit or become automated. Right. And so for him, the two minute rule is, is to highlight making that starting line and optimizing the starting line as much as you can, making it as easy as possible. Right. Cause once something is automated, once like imagine the habit that you wanted to do was as easy as brushing your teeth to you. Mm -hmm. Well, getting those reps in is going to be real easy. I'd right. say do this on autopilot. <laughs> right. But in the beginning yeah. of habits, it doesn't feel like brushing your teeth. It feels more like work. Mm -hmm. Right. So you have to understand that emotional psychology of the beginning of a habit and the end. And then you spoke to it at the end of like, I even love how you said, you're like, miss two days in the beginning. I really agree. Uh, and then long-term, I don't really agree. Well, it was funny because you backed that up with, I know how easy it is to get back on it. Mm. Well, that's the problem. You know how easy it is to get back on cold showers. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you earn a habit that you fought tooth and nail for, and it actually isn't easy to get back on it. And so missing two days in a row is playing with this, well, this is going to go back to starting point again. You know how hard it was to get to the, from the starting point to here, right? It's way easier to sustain a habit that took so long to get. And if you, for you, that's great that you're right. If you know it's easy to get back into it, like I know it's easy to get back into basketball because I love basketball. Doesn't matter how far off I get, I can just always get back into it. It's not actually that easy, but we're discounting the person who, for someone, for example, let's say they wanted to lose weight. And that journey took them forever to get on. Well, every day they miss after two is actually detriment. It's scary because it's, you know, how hard it was to get back here. This isn't something that you enjoyed or was easy or, you know, it was, it took a long time to get here. And every day you miss it, it becomes harder and harder and harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely, I hear that. I can appreciate that. Uh, I think that there's definitely some truth. I'm going to counter it again though. Um, I think that my, the reasoning behind like it is easier for me to jump back in is because I've understood the intrinsic value base to my life. So if you're doing a habit that's for someone else or for other people's validation or for other people's happiness, 
and to be more accepted in the world or to be seen in a specific way you can take the but losing weight if you're looking to be seen by others in a more um in a better way let's say like then that is not necessarily for you that's for them and they're still operating your life so taking that habit on by continuously losing weight will lose its value base when you realize it's an unfulfilling road at the end and so when you get to that point falling off and then getting back on is not necessarily or it is hard because you're now trying to step back into something that was never for you in the first place if it is for you if the intrinsic value base is stemmed from an internal desire and not from other people like my cold showers then i do believe it is really hard and you you or it is really easy you attested to that with basketball you love basketball that sport is is intrinsically valuable to you it is not for other people so jumping back on the basketball train is actually really easy for you because it's intrinsically valuable to you you've created that value but for other people or not for other people for other habits that are more difficult to maintain and are harder to fall off and get back on for me that's a tell of your intrinsic motivation was not for you in the first place and for me that was meditation i jumped on meditation years ago but i did not do it for me i did it to prove to other people that i was a person of value so i did it to be able to share on social that i was meditating and to get on the bandwagon of the trending habit i was jumping on board to things that felt like they would be accepted and valued in the world and what happened i stopped meditating for an entire year after that because i couldn't maintain that level of appeasement of other people i could not obtain the false narrative i was living under for any longer so i gave it up now i barely post it and i'm able to do it consistently no problem because the intrinsic value is completely different and i'm able to get into it every day with with almost zero friction except for the scrolling so i think that i i i that's for me the caveat if you if it's harder to get back on that's that's important to start asking the question what was it for in the first place who was it for in the first place that's the tell can i ask you a question then tell me can you believe, is there can you intrinsically believe that something is good for you and it still be hard to do of course to get into not and get, then no, i think not, not get I'm into it's getting sustainable. back into it no i'm yeah, just saying is is there anything and the example i'm saying is food right? right i intrinsically know the benefit of eating good food and the the the, the eating bad food and i know mm -hmm. which one i want for my life long term mm -hmm. it doesn't make the resistance of saying no to bad food any easier though even though mm -hmm. i intrinsically know which one i want more Right, we're making it seem like everything. And the basketball example I gave was because that's like the only habit in my life that's easy to get into. Everything else is hard work. Going to the gym is hard, even mm. though I know the intrinsic value of going to the gym. Eating healthy is hard. Every most Fair. most habits in my life are actually hard. Basketball is the only one, and actually that's easy to get into. Every mm. single else one, whether I intrinsically believe it or not believe it, is still. I know that eating good food is going to lead to good productivity that is going to lead to that doesn't take the text that i got on a saturday night saying let's go to this burger spot any easier to deal with or not mm. even though i intrinsically know that mm -hmm. the value of going to say no to that and eating the food that i am is you know and then there's balance and all of those things right so i'm just saying yeah, that it opens up a bigger conversation and I, I hear you i can understand where you're going in the sense that not to cut you off that um i'm not taking away the difficulty of it that's not my intention so i hear that and i'm glad you clarified because i'm not taking away the difficulty of stepping into habits or getting back into it, it 
absolutely takes effort and absolutely is, is work. Um, but what allows you to make it consistent quicker without it being something that is like actually a suffering to get into is that intrinsic value is the, what you just attested to without knowing it is the identity and the characteristics that you are trying to develop from the habit. Cause that's a lot of the intrinsic value. And what's something I was going to finish with is that habits um, technically become who we are, but I'm not a cold. I'm not a person who, who takes cold showers. I'm a person who is resilient. I'm a person who pushes himself. Mm-hmm. The identity that comes with the habit is my, is my win in that scenario is that's what my obtainment is through that process. It's the identity that I achieve from the characteristics of the person that does those kinds of things. So I am resilient and I am accountable and I am X, Y, Z. And that allows me to step back into a habit knowing I am accountable and I am resilient and I am these things rather than I am someone who meditates. It's a little different, um, but I'm glad you clarified because that's actually a really important part of creating and being the author of your life um, is understanding that that's not going to be easy mm-hmm. and that it's going to be difficult. Um, and I never intended to make it sound like it was going to be easy. No, 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 for sure. I, I think it's, it's, it's healthy debate. It's, it's, it's more so just like nuances and things like that. It's totally um, maintaining, right. Is, is, is the, the world you want to be in, right. Get it to autopilot and then maintain that is where mm-hmm. all the success, all the success is, um, is if you're going to fight for something so hard and get there and then, you know, maintaining it is like, you know, the hardest, the, the easiest part. And then eventually sometimes these things, the ones that are naturally innately, like you like, cold showers, basketball, all those ones, they're very hard to fall off because you genuinely like them. And then mm-hmm. there's all these other things that are like, I like a burger though, dude. I like it. You know, there's all these other ones that pull you in a direction of balance a little bit. And you got to kind of be like, okay, cool. The grace there is um, be okay with doing nothing or missing a day or missing mm-hmm. two. That's speaking to balance. That's saying, Hey, we're not saying be rigid, be balanced, mm-hmm. but don't go to the point where it's, you've gone so far off that the identity is going backwards. Well, everything that you've worked for is unraveling. It's going the, the other direction. Um, I'll lead the, the, the takeaway here because I think that we've mm-hmm. added you know, a lot of value here in this conversation. I think that there's been tons to poke at. We'll probably revisit some of this stuff in Huge. another episode. Um, the thing I wanted to leave with here is, is in, in, in the fashion and in, in, in the name of James Clear, I'm going to leave with you know word, parting words from him. He said something that I was like, yeah. And it speaks to what you're saying there is that I'm not, you know, I'm not a, someone who read a book. I'm a reader. I'm not someone who ran. I'm a runner, right? This idea of becoming something, right? And as, as humans, we're trying to find evidence for the things that we believe, right? Mm-hmm. The more evidence, the more we believe, right? And what habits allow us to do is it allows us to accumulate evidence, right? The actions that you take They'd provide evidence for who you are. And so for every action that you take is a vote for the type of person that you want to become, right? Every time you do something, it's a vote for the type of person that you want to become. And if you're able to, you know, the more votes that you cast, the more likely you are to win that election, you know? So if you view votes as habits and you view that I need more evidence to believe more of what I want to be, then it's, it's the habits that allow you to find that belief. It's the habits that allow you to, look at yourself and go, man, there's a lot of reps. There's a lot of votes that I am a reader. There's a lot of votes that I am a runner. There's a lot of votes for this type of person that I want to become. Now I believe that that's who I am, you know? And the last thing I'll say is that in the beginning, 
even with this podcast, I remember our meeting said, Kyle, don't sign up if we're not going to do a hundred episodes. hundred is the number. I don't want to talk about how you feel or what's coming up for you, or I want to quit, or I want to do that. A hundred's the number. We're going to get there. We'll assess how we feel when we get there. Because we know innately that when you get embark on a journey, too many feelings come up that want you. You kind of just have to at the beginning, and this is like the most masculine version, the most, you know, the, the <laughs> shittiest reality of it all is that like sometimes you just got to shut up and put in the reps. Mm. And especially at the beginning, because it's foreign to you right? Episode one was foreign. Episode 30 was foreign. Episode 60 was foreign, right? We were just putting our head down and putting in the reps. And, you know, by understanding that our number for this podcast is a hundred, I do that for everything in my life is a set of, set a number that's out there that I'm like, I don't want to hear how you feel about it until we get here. Let's just get through the mud a little bit and we'll clear it all up later, you know? Um, and that's why it takes so much time in setting goals. Cause I don't want to go through the mud of shit that I don't want to do. Right. So I try to find big whys. Um, but yeah, I would say in the beginning, just understand that it's tough. Make make the barrier entry as low as possible. And there's days where you're not going to be motivated. So, you know, just shut up and know we're trying to collect a vote. <laughs> I just need a vote right now. <laughs> I need a vote for this today. Um, and that's kind of, you know, that, that'd be my parting, my parting, parting words with this episode. Beautiful. I think I'm just going to end it right there. I think that that in itself encapsulates the conversation and uh, you know, I would just be repeating things we said previously. And I like the, I, the choosing of casting a vote today, that in and of itself is in many ways can be enough intrinsic motivation for you to just push through and take that 60 seconds to meditate or take that 10 seconds in that cold shower to get you one step closer to believing in yourself and in what you're trying to build. So that's the episode. That's, the beginning stages of creating and being the author of your own life and doing it by creating habits and routines and setting goals. It's a beautiful way to do it. There are many other ways. And this is just one of those impact moments where if you have gotten this far and you've listened this far, if you take everything that we just said, you'll be able to be well ahead in the journey and our hope always is to share our experiences to be able to help you get there a little quicker to be able to help you skip a few steps. And so I think we did that today. So I'm grateful for the conversation, grateful for you listening. If you like this episode, please give us a rating on all platforms. We would honestly really appreciate that so we can continue to reach more people, provide more value to you. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, subscribe, download, follow us everywhere at Modern Mask, Ulinity, the C is a K to be updated on all new episodes and all new information. Have a good day, and we'll see you on the next episode. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to join us next week as we put out content every single Wednesday. Our goal with this platform is to create a community to support men on their journey of becoming conscious kings. And in saying so, if you took any value out of this episode or previous episodes, please share, download, subscribe, and if you're feeling really up to it, go ahead and leave a review. You can follow us at Modern Masculinity. Remember, the K, it's with a K, not a C, to represent the mask that we wear. And like always, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week.